Good evening, everyone. So good to be here with y'all tonight. Um, I've been praying this week, asking God through the power of his spirit to give me, give me words to say through this passage. And what I arrived at is that uh, I believe the spirit was leading me to um, call us together into a prayer for this country tonight. So before we get into this message, in light of all the realities of recent events, I want us all to join together in prayer for our nation. And not because um, there's something exclusively excellent about our nation or whatever, things like that, but because for the majority of us in this room and or who are online, this is the place that we would currently call our home. Um, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2, here's how the Apostle Paul writes to his disciple Timothy. He says, First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We are called to pray for our leaders. We are called to pray for the good of our nation. We are called to pray and enter into these spaces. Now, I am well aware, and I am actually hopeful that this is true, that there is a great spectrum of political and social thoughts in this space and who are attending online as well. And I say the word hopefully because Jesus and his way are not exclusively owned by any one camp on the political spectrum. No current political party, for example, has ever made the Sermon on the Mount their exact party platform, right? Um, But the gospel is meant to completely reshape and constantly challenge our preconceived notion and worldviews in every way, including the way that we think about politics, So with that in mind, I want to call us together to pray from across the political spectrum, both for our nation and for the church of this nation. Why? To demonstrate the unity of the church across divisions. Now, here's why that matters. As Renaud talked a couple weeks ago when he was talking about this idea that, that, that God or that Jesus calls us to be known by our love for one another. In fact, he says that is how the outside world will know that you are my followers. So this unity thing, it's not optional. This unity thing, it's supposed to even cross over the greatest chasms among us. Because what unites us in Christ is greater than what divides us in the world. Now, this is so important that we would be a witness of unity as our nation exists in deep distress and division right now. Uh, As all of you know, over a week ago, what began as a peaceful protest in Washington, D.C. unraveled into a law-breaking riot in many aspects. And there was a break-in into our nation's capital. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand or to know the minds and the hearts of everyone that participated in any one of those spaces. But what I can tell you with a, with a degree of certainty through the scriptures is that violence and fear do not reflect the way of Jesus. And I cannot find anywhere in the words of Jesus that would affirm the actions of that day. But in the aftermath of an event like that, the church needs to lead the way, not just in advocating for unity, but by being unified together. But this starts by allowing the spirit of God to do the work that only he can do in our lives, in our hearts. So my, my desire is not to frustrate anyone 
in any way in what, in, in what I'm saying up here, but instead it is to call us to ask Spirit of God, do you have something for me? To each of us can be and are tempted towards spaces of idolatry where we elevate anything up to a level of worship. And it's not, it's not as, um, as obvious as what we see in the scriptures, right? Where they would put up a bale or an asherah, some, some, uh, some statue of a golden calf, right? And instead, though, we all need to ask that the Spirit of God would root out those subtle and sometimes not so subtle idols, temptations that we have to elevate things. Oftentimes, they're not even bad things. Like our belief in, our, in being right about something. We can elevate that up to being an idol. Our material possessions or wealth, our political beliefs, these different spaces can get elevated to that place. But what we need to lead the way in is in confession. If we are to be a unified gospel witness to the world, realizing that like we all are, as we are going to be journeying in the book of Colossians, can easily add anything to the pure gospel. And but. The thing is, when you add anything to the pure gospel, it only alters the pure essence of what it is. It only distorts it, the true Jesus. So in 1 Peter 2, verse 17, here's how the apostle Peter writes it. He says, honor everyone. It's an interesting thought. Love the brotherhood. That's kind of in line with all this. Fear God absolutely makes sense. And then he says, honor the emperor. Why is that so crazy? The emperor he's talking about specifically is Nero. Nero, within a couple decades of this, is going to, he was already committing minor uh, persecution against the church. He is about to launch a full-on assault and genocide against the followers of Jesus and the Jewish people. And yet Peter is saying, honor him. Why? How could he possibly say that? Because what he is getting at is we should pray for our leaders because we know who is ultimately supreme in Christ. And when we know that, when we know who is there, who is static in the middle of a world that is always in motion and often in chaos, we can have hope. So with that in mind, regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum tonight, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me for unity for the church of America, for our nation, and then also for two pairs of political leaders for the current administration right now, for President Trump, Vice President Pence, that with the remaining days that they have in office and that the influence that they will continue to have in the days and years to come, that they would be used for equitable justice, for sound governance, for peace and for unity in our country. And then we're also gonna pray for the incoming administration the soon-to-be President Biden and Vice President Harris, that they would use their time in office to be used for equitable justice, for sound governance, for peace, and for unity for our country. Now, as I said that, you might, uh, if you are into politics at all, you might find it difficult to imagine one or both of those sides being used towards those ends. But if Peter and Paul could call the church to pray for individuals like genocidal emperors, with this hope that God could do more than they could possibly care for or imagine, then we can pray in that same vein for these two sets of leaders. Because God knows our leaders need it. They need our prayers. So, 
I would ask that in the days and weeks ahead that you would spend some quiet time asking the spirit of God, God, would you expose anything in me, whether it's political or or not involved in any of this at all? Because that's just a good exercise in general. But right now, would you journey with me in prayer for our nation? Father, you come before you as your kids more than anything else, more than any other identity that is possibly that possibly is relevant to us, whether it's cast member or American or, uh, or husband or wife or kid or of, of our earthly parents, before any of those, for those of us who are followers of you, we are first and foremost citizens of your kingdom. We are first and foremost brothers and sisters in your forever family who have been adopted by your sovereign grace. So, Lord, we ask that tonight that we would journey together in unity, in love for one another, and we'd make steps towards unity in this body and is the part of the body that makes up the Church of the United States of America. Lord, right now I pray and I ask that you would bring reconciliation in this country, trust back into the political discourse, that there would be so much love as the church would demonstrate unity. That we would, that we would carry the baton in showing unity, not distrust. That we would, be, would receive a revival that can only happen by your spirit, that we'd be able to enter into any aspect of life with your love and your grace and your truth. We pray for President Trump, for Vice President Pence, that these individuals would be used for equitable justice, for unity, for peace, for sound governance. Lord, lift up soon-to-be President Biden, Vice President Harris. Lord, that you would do the exact same through them. That they would be used for equitable justice, for sound governance, for peace, and for unity for our nation. Lord, None of this is possible apart from you doing something that is completely beyond any of our minds. The cynic inside me and probably inside most of us goes, yeah, that's never going to happen. But, but you, are the, you do things that we couldn't even comprehend. So Lord, we pray for this kind of radical unity for our nation tonight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for journeying through that with me. Um, so this has been a part of what has made this um, kind of a rough week for me in some ways. Trying to process what is happening in our world, what's happening in our nation, what is happening for cast members here at Walt Disney World. Within even my family, uh, Ali and I's marriage, and even inside my own heart. It's been a week of a lot of journeying. Now last week, Joel talked about how easy it is to have our minds focused on the things below and not the things above. And I got to be honest, it has been so easy for me this week to focus on my circumstances. In other words, what is happening below? I'd imagine that you find yourselves there from time to time. Maybe you are prone to what is now being referred to as doom scrolling, you know, or you're like, just like you pull up whatever news feed you use and you're just like, doom, 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 doom. I don't know why I'm doing this still. Doom, doom, doom. This is infuriating. Doom, doom, doom. Or maybe you do a different type of scrolling. Maybe your version of scrolling is more like gossip scrolling or it's like relationship scrolling or, I mean, there's like so many types of scrolling that we can do these days. It's wonderful. But you know what it does? It keeps our gaze below. It keeps our faith and our trust or our lack thereof in what does or does not happen in our world and in our lives. 
It keeps our faith, hope, and love rooted in our circumstances. Now, hopefully you had a much, emotion, uh, much less emotionally exhausting week than I did. Maybe you did or you didn't. But either way, here's the question that I would love for us to all ask about our week, our last week and this week coming up. Where is your gaze? Where has your gaze been? Where is your gaze? Was it fixed on the things of this world or is it transfixed on the risen Jesus? The one who is supreme, the one who is truly enough the one who is steady when everything else feels out of control. Now, this is not meant to minimize your struggles, whatever your circumstances may be. But the question is, can having our hearts and minds focused on Jesus equip us to be able to more healthily sift through whatever the difficult or easy realities that are happening within us and within our world? Can having our gaze focused on Jesus actually make a difference? Now, last week, we began journeying through the book of Colossians. And that's where we're going to be continuing in tonight, uh, in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Now, this is a letter that was written by the Apostle Peter to a largely irrelevant audience in a largely irrelevant nation, uh, in a largely irrelevant town called Colossae. And this community is one that has, was ravaged most likely just a couple years before by this epic earthquake. And they were still reeling from it. They didn't have a lot of wealth. Um, so they were trying to rebuild, but it wasn't going very well. But in the middle of this, God was on the move in Colossae. In fact, this guy that we talked about last week, Epaphras, had brought word of this incredible awakening that was taking place within this biblical community but yet there was this weariness with this invasion of heresies and, uh, and this word that you're going to hear us talk about from time to time as we're journeying through Colossians. It's the word syncretism. If you don't know what it means, I didn't either. I had to look it up when somebody started using it a lot. Um, but syncretism is essentially the blending of faiths and ideologies that are naturally opposed, putting them together and calling them Frankenstein's monster. Now that sounds scary, but that's what I tend to do. It's what all of us tend to do. We tend to blend all these different things and putting them together and calling them our version of Jesus. But that's not the way it works. And that's what Paul is going to be getting into in this book. It's going to be so awesome. Now, last week we talked about this brief introduction that Paul makes. Paul is now moving, though, into a standard Greco-Roman letter greeting. Um, so this is, uh, if you like were to pull up the um, Google Doc template, this would have been a part of that template that would have been there. But what's so cool about what Paul does in this templated section, this standard greeting, is he uses this to begin to immediately point the audience toward Jesus. You see, when the true Jesus is brought into any moment, the ordinary is transformed into the extraordinary because Jesus is extraordinary. And that's what Paul's going to do right here. So Paul takes a standard template and he offers this rich praise that is based on Jesus's ideal for his church. So let's dig right in. We are in verse three. Here's how he starts. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So this is not so much him praying as him like sending a text message informing them that they have been actively 
that he has been actively praying for them. So I don't know if any of you have ever done that, where you're like just texting maybe a family or friend. You're just like, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I've been thinking and praying for you today. Just wanted to see how you're doing. That's kind of what Paul's doing here. So he starts off by saying, I'm always, I'm, whenever I pray for you, I'm always thanking God for you. But let's start off with the first phrase. We always thank God. Who is the God he's talking about? Because remember, this is a culture that is, being, that is being saturated with syncretism, where the Roman gods are kind of merging and Jesus is becoming one of the pantheon in a lot of people's minds and all this national, um, this national rivalry is kind of coming in and it's all kind of blending together into being this, this one faith that's polytheistic. But what Paul is doing here is he immediately reminds him of who he is talking about. Who is this God? It is the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So who is this God? It's the one who sent Jesus into the world. It's the one who cares deeply about what is happening in their lives. It is the one who has, uh, who has authority and supremacy to enact his love, his justice into a broken and fallen world. That God is the one he is thanking. So he's been thanking him. Why? When we pray for you, Why? Verse four, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. So he's been thanking them for two reasons, for their radical faith in Jesus and because of their love for all the saints. See, they have placed their complete trust in the risen Jesus. They have made him supreme in their lives. They see that Jesus really is enough. Jesus really is enough regardless of the circumstances of life. And then he continues and says that because of the love that they have for all the saints. So faith in Jesus and love for the saints. Now this kind of, this serves as a hyperlink back to Matthew 22 and what is called the great commandment, um, which is when Jesus was asked by a lawyer, what is the greatest of the law? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that also goes back to John 15, where Jesus is talking and he says that they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And that's what this church has been doing. They have been demonstrating radical trust and faith and love in Jesus and love toward one another. This is huge. Why? Because loving one another within the family of God is not easy. I mean, how hard is it to love our brothers and sisters who are on a different political wavelength than us? How hard is it to love the leaders of maybe a church where you felt where you were burnt in the past? Shoot, maybe there's even frustration for you here at Mosaic towards leaders and you're like, or, or towards friends in, the, our, uh, in our community. You're like, ah, oh, they're hard to love. How hard is it to love that friend who gossips about you, but you're like, but I, I told you that in confidence. Like we're both, we're both Christians. I thought that I could trust you. And now you blabbered about it to everyone. How hard is it to love then? But you see their love was for all the saints. And when you hear that word saints, don't think um, the uh, 
individuals who had died and then were given the title of sainthood because of how awesome and epic they were in their lives. This is the, the awesomeness and epicness of Jesus that has been put onto us as followers of Jesus, that we have received his righteousness. And because of receiving his righteousness, we are called the sainthood of believers. We, the family of God, are saints. Not because we are so awesome, but because Jesus is. And when God the Father sees us, he sees Jesus on display. Now, they are known for this kind of love for all the saints. I mean, how easy is it to love those who think and act like you? But how much more powerful is it to extend that same type of love to brothers and sisters who are difficult to love? So here's the question, though. What is the why behind this faith and this love? In other words, what is fueling this faith in Jesus and this love for one another? And that's what he gets to in verse five. And he starts with a because. So they have this faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they have for all the saints. Why? Because of the, uh, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. We are able to be full of faith in Jesus and love toward one another like this church was. Why? Because they have been captivated by this hope that has been laid up in heaven, namely Jesus. Because of the hope that is laid up for them in heaven, their love for God, their love for one another, it has a motivation, but the motivation is not to earn the good life in the here and now. It's not to earn God's favor so that they get nice toys and they live a long life that's very prosperous in this world. It's not earning a heavenly good place either. The hope is not just about getting a ticket to heaven. The hope we discover in the scriptures is the one who defines hope. To be known by the God who redeems and loves us, who is present with us in all of life, Jesus. So the hope isn't just in like some good place, but in the one who makes any place worth enjoying. See, it's because this hope was already laid up for them in heaven, that it has been sealed and empowered by the Spirit of God, that they now have the capacity to love God and to love one another. Now, the word that's used here for laid up in Greek, uh, a, a great way to translate it is the word reserve. It is to place a reservation, to set it aside. It's going on layaway and nobody can take it. Um, I personally, I make no secrets or apologies for this. I love Disney cruises a lot. Most of you know this by now. I love a good Disney cruise. In fact, I am just dying to take Asher and Abby um, on a Disney cruise. I just think Asher's going to love like Marvel Day at Sea. It's just going to be so good. And if, and if he didn't love it, I'd probably be sad. Uh, and uh, I, yeah, it just like, it just, it, it, I, on, on the list of Grateful reasons once the pandemic's over. This will definitely be like number 54, but that's not because 54 is a bad place to be. It's just that there's more significant things as well, but like Disney cruises, guys, right? Okay, so I love going on Disney cruises and there's something so exciting about it in general, but right now I'm not uber excited about it. Why? Because I don't have one booked. But in the past, whenever I have booked a Disney cruise, all of a sudden, my anticipation and excitement level like goes through the roof. I am like a like kid coming down the staircase on Christmas morning for like however many weeks until my next cruise. I, I am just so excited. Allie and I, we pull up YouTube videos of, of the cruise ship that we've watched 
so many times by now. And I watch them all. There's this one from like 1998 that's on from the Travel Channel. It's like so outdated. The ships look nothing like that now. It doesn't matter. I watch it every time anyway. It's so good. Why? Because I have this anticipation. Why do I have anticipation? Because I have a reservation. Because this has been, because I, it is reserved, because it is set. I get excited. But even that example, it's imperfect. It breaks down. Because any of you who happened to book a cruise last year know cruises can get canceled still. <laughs> Things can happen. Pandemics can happen. Who could have possibly guessed? But this hope has been laid up. Nothing can cancel it. Nothing can unreserve this reservation with Jesus, this hope that is laid up in heaven. Nothing can unreserve it. Now, it has been said that you can be too heavenly minded for, your, um, for any earthly good. I've ever heard that. Um, I personally really dislike that thought, but I, I understand the thinking because oftentimes if, if you think about that, to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good, it's like you're, you have your heads in the clouds. You're not really thinking about what's happening in the here and now. So you're not able to actually care and love for anyone in the here and now. And that kind of makes sense, especially when you think of like, what goes to my mind are like kind of like a, like a radical end would be like individuals or groups of people who um, somebody um, claims to have a prophecy that um, the apostle apocalypse is going to happen on this day. And uh, people are like, oh, it's going to happen on this day. Okay. I don't need my stuff anymore. So they get rid of all their stuff and they go and they like wait up on a hill just for that day to happen. And then like nothing happens. The world continues moving. And then they're like, oh no. So like, that's what I tend to think of. But the thought is that somebody can be so consumed with eternity that they miss out on what is actually happening in the here and now. Now we're going to get back to this thought in just, in just a few moments. But before we do, let's ask this question. Where does this hope come from? Was, in other words, was this, this idea that they had a hope that was laid up in heaven, for argument's sake, was this just syncretism? Was this a blending of a bunch of different faiths and ideologies all together? Where did they get it? Well, in verse 5, it continues, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. So where do they get this hope that has been laid up in heaven? It's not by their own creation. It is because of the good news of Jesus. It's because the gospel has told them so. It's because the word of truth has revealed it. See, the gospel is pure good news. Pure good news. I remember about a decade ago, uh, I had a job that finally paid real money um, that wasn't Subway. And me and my friends, we, w- we decided to go and get like this like super bougie hotel in the city um, and just like have a, a total like bro time in the city and just like go and eat expensive meals and stuff because for some reason that felt really wise at 19. And uh, so we get into the super bougie hotel and, uh, and, and it's this bougie, this is how bougie it was. They had um, Voss water bottles, complimentary I know. And it was like the glass ones too. And they had still and sparkling. I didn't read the label because I didn't even know to read the label. The hotels I stay at, they usually, they have the tap version of water. um, And these, they go outside and serve yourself your ice kind uh, kind of water. So with this one though, I was like, glass, what is this stuff? And then you read the label and it's from Norway. And I was like, whoa. 
this is fancy stuff. And then I take a drink. And when I took a drink of Voss water, I was transported to an aquifer in Norway. It was just brilliant. I was like drinking this water and I was like, oh my goodness, what have I been drinking my entire existence? This is real water. And, and, and I researched it a little bit this week to find out why I liked it so much. And it f- turns out that it is from an aquifer in Norway. Um, and it like comes straight, like nothing pollutes it apparently, at least they say so. So it must be true. And like, it's, uh, and it's like, like sitting in the aquifer until they pipe it directly into the glass bottle, I guess. And it's delicious and wonderful. And that is a perfect pH balance. Now I mentioned that because Imagine if I were to get a packet of like Powerade or Gatorade and like the powder and I added that to the Voss water. I mean, one, that's probably the best tasting Gatorade you've ever had. (laughs) But the truth is I have changed its essence. I have changed what it is. It is no longer Voss water. It's now Gatorade, right? See, this good news that comes with Jesus to add anything to it, It's to change the essence of what it is altogether. Because Jesus is enough. To add anything to Jesus only cheapens who he is and what he is. To have Jesus and him alone. That is the pure good news. The pure good news that we are now recipients of The good news that Jesus came into the world to make all things new, to usher in a new kingdom reality, beginning now and stretching into eternity. That's what he was getting at when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. And he said, pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That that through the church, we would be the active and living demonstrations of the kingdom paradigm in our world. That we would be the ones that would bring the Voss water of the gospel into the world. God didn't offer a plan B. He sent the church. It's not the plan I would have went with. Because so often, as a part of the church, I am very imperfect. But that is the way Jesus rolls. And he uses us and he asks us to be invited in to this story so that the church would be well aware that we have received good news and we are called to carry the good news. They have been recipients of a hope that is laid up in heaven where circumstances cannot touch it. See, this is how awesome and beautiful Jesus is, that he has come to redeem and to restore and to renew, that he became the sacrifice so that the creation could be drawn back into loving relationship with creator, back into our created order. Now in verse six, he continues about this gospel, which has come to you. So of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you have heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So remember that thought I gave you a little bit ago, the idea of being so heavenly minded that you can't be any earthly good. This is where that concept gets blown up. See, when we have a holistic and fully formed or a more fully formed view of God's divine ideal for the kingdom, of what the gospel is meant to do in our world, what happens is we realize that the kingdom is absolutely in heaven, but it is breaking through the cracks of our broken world today. 
When Allie and I lived in Shanghai a few years back, we had the opportunity to visit some friends in Hong Kong. And um, if you ever get a chance to visit Hong Kong, it's well worth it. Um, it's a really beautiful city. It feels a lot like London. It's uh, because of its uh, British uh, influence and origins. But then it's weird because it's like Planet of the Apes kind of went down there and there is like a jungle that has been breaking into the city. You'll go down these, these beautiful streets and all of a sudden there's like a tree that's like growing up in the middle of it. And when I see this idea, this idea that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in a broken and fallen world, this is what I envision, that the gospel is breaking through like a garden in the middle of a city. That this reality, the good news of Jesus, that we receive by the power of the Spirit of God now empowers us to love God and to love people. To be a demonstration of that love in the family of God and to be a demonstration of that love to the rest of the world. And we here, we start at Walt Disney World. That just happens to be our local demographic that we are a part of. But through the gospel, this is what we are called into. That we love people and we live as a gospel voice. That this is what it means to be evangelistic. To go out and proclaim the uncommon love of Jesus. Getting stoked and sharing how incredible the Messiah Jesus really is. And talking about what he has done in our personal lives. How he has given us life, light, and freedom. That apart from him, we are so inept. But with him, we have power. We have strength. But not only are we called to be a gospel voice, this fruit that is coming forth, that is bearing fruit, not only in the world, but also in Colossae, they were also being called to be a gospel presence, stepping into spaces of injustice in our world, advocating for those without a voice, those without power, those without hope, caring for those who've been discarded, marginalized, written off, the poor, the abused, the orphan and the widow. Why? Why? Why does any of this matter? Because it's nice things to do? Yes, it is. But why? What is the deeper reason? Because we, like the church in Colossae, are residents of a different city altogether. We are servants of a different master. In ancient Rome, a few hundred years after this letter was written, Christianity ended up becoming the official, became legalized and eventually the official religion of the Roman Empire. And there's a lot of brokenness that goes within that. And I definitely don't have time to go into that tonight. But what did end up happening is that this, this happened right around the same time as the Roman Empire began to go into collapse. And, and those who were non-believers began to started to say things like that, that Christians ruined everything. Before we were awesome and now we're weak. We are soft. We are ineffective in our society. And then this African pastor um, from what is modern day Tunisia, uh, a guy named uh, um, Augustine, he decided to write a book and the book is called The City of God. And in it, he talks about that there are two cities who are naturally opposed from one another. There's the city of man and it operates with incomplete wisdom, an incomplete view of justice, an incomplete hope and an incomplete life. It is made up of all sides of the political spectrum and social spectrums, but it is absolutely incomplete. But then there's this other city, the city of God where true wisdom, true justice, love and hope reign. And as followers of Jesus, our call is to bring this city, this kingdom reality into our world, that it would break through the cracks, to be the garden breaking through the cracks of the city of man. 
And not because we're so awesome, not because we're so good at any of this. In fact, Augustine, this is a direct quote from the book um, that has been translated because this, I don't read Latin. Uh, but he says, the earthly city glories in itself. The earthly city, the city of man, only brings focus to itself and its own awesomeness. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. That's the kingdom we're residents of. That's the city. That's our true home. The one that glories in the Lord doesn't glory in how awesome we are. Doesn't glory in how successful we are, how great we are. It glories in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone because he is supreme, because he is enough. And that is enough. And as we do this, the kingdom of God doesn't stay up in the clouds. It breaks through the cracks of our broken world through us. It arrives in every aspect of our lives. It arrives in break rooms at Walt Disney World when a cast member begins to open up to us, telling about how they've been struggling, where, they're, where they've been falling, how this entire season has just been breaking their heart and breaking their mind. That we could be a demonstration of the gospel to them by listening attentively. And if and when the Spirit leads, we speak into it. It arrives as we take the Great Commission as our personal calling to go and to make disciples of all nations. This is what it means to bear fruit, that we would be a part of this bearing fruit that is increasing. Now he continues and he finishes it this way. Just as you you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This, all this that we just talked about, all this about what it means for the gospel to begin to break through, to bear much fruit in their midst. These were all the truths that they had learned from Epaphras. He was their leader. He was their elder. He was their shepherd. He was one of their elders who led them and pointed them toward Jesus. They learned all of this, not just from his words though, but from his life. And now Paul had the opportunity to affirm both of them for the work of the spirit of God doing in their lives. And I gotta be honest, as I was reading and studying this passage over the last couple of weeks, this part was the most convicting for me. As somebody who has been called to be an elder of Mosaic Church and a campus pastor of the Disney campus, to think about, man, can I truly say, follow me as I follow Christ? And I need to continue to be humbled by this. And anyone who is in any level of leadership, especially spiritual leadership, should be humbled by this reality that we would be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. That we would be considered a faithful minister of Christ. All that to say, the gospel never runs out of ways to challenge us. It shouldn't, I hope it doesn't. I don't think it can. And according to the word of God, it definitely can't. Because you see, Jesus is supreme. Jesus is enough. So as we journey through this book, my prayer is that for each of us, that we would be challenged by this simple truth of who Jesus is, that we would glory in him. And as we glory in him, we would be a part of all the different spaces in life that God may want to use us. But that our focus would be solely focused on him. That no matter what happens in our weeks, that we would be able to realize and re-realize and re-re-re-re-realize over and over and over again how desperately we need to continue to gaze upon Jesus 
because he really is enough. He really is this good. And apart from him, we get locked into the rat race of life, a mode of life that is defined by exhaustion, that is incomplete by design, that is moving from one frustration to the next. But in Jesus, but in Jesus, we find ourselves a transcendent presence in every aspect of our lives in our break rooms, in our apartments, in our homes, with our families, on FaceTime, wherever we go. Why? Because we have been so transformed by him that our faith, our hope, and our love are radically rooted in him. And it's bearing fruit out of who we are rooted in. Guys, what if this was the story of our biblical community? What if the story of Mosaic WW, shoot, the Church of Orlando, that each of us had this type of radical focus on Jesus, that we allowed his life to radiate through us. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the band to come on up. Would you all pray with me? Father, I confess my deep need for you that Most of my days, I don't even begin to consider how much I need you and the decisions I make and the purchases I make and the conversations I have and the meetings I attend. But Lord, I pray that for me and for our entire community that we would be challenged by the pure gospel of Jesus, that we wouldn't add anything into it, that we would leave it pure and unfiltered, And that we would see that that is actually more beautiful. That that is actually enough. That Jesus really is supreme. That he is really enough. Lord, would you help that to be our prayer this week. That we would have our minds focused on Jesus in that light. In that way. Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. But Lord, help us to truly believe that. So that we would abide richly and deeply in you. Lord, thank you for all of us here tonight, for your love, for your kindness, for your never giving up, unconditional, always and forever love. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.